0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Open Mic Comedy Podcast. I'm your host Mark, this podcast here is for people on the open mic circuit, whether you're a comedian, an MC, a promoter, a tutor or just anybody who has any involvement in this industry, or whether you're a comedy fan who really does enjoy spending all their time in pub basements watching the possible stars of the future, or even better, if you want to join in on this circuit and want a bit of first-hand warning on what to expect, this is definitely the place for you. Today's guest is currently flying in the comedy scene. He's been a finalist in the Chortle Student Comedy Award for 2022. He won Backyard's Comedy Knockout last year. He's performed at both Latitude Festival and the Edinburgh Fringe. Has been seen at some of the hottest comedy clubs all around the UK. And most recently crowned winner of the Birmingham Comedy Festival Breaking Talent Award for 2023. That is a mouthful. <laughs> He is one of the politest people I've spoken to on the comedy circuit and definitely does not want to cancel Christmas. It's an absolute pleasure to have him here today.
1: Please welcome Hassan Al-Habib.
2: Hello.
1: Welcome. Yeah, how are you, Bab? How's it going? Nice to see you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much for having me on, Mark, that that esteemed introduction. Thank you. That's cool. That's cool. So how have you been? good yeah good, um busy and uh yeah, gigging a lot um but but really good and uh and happy to be gigging, I think, as like most comedians are, like really happy to be um busy all the time and trying to write new stuff and trying to test new stuff and see new stuff fail and et cetera et cetera <laughs> but but yeah all all good, thank you, cool,
0: um so I guess. The first question for every stand up is how long have you been doing this and how and why did you take into this journey of trying to make people laugh?
1: Do you know what? One of the big thing, one of the big ambitions for me coming into comedy was to be crowned um, the open mic circuit's most polite comedian. And so uh, genuinely the best the best aspect of the introduction you gave me so if i can retain that crown until i <laughs> until i retire um that i was very very flattered when you said that um i think i wanted to get into comedy because i i, I yes, it might sound a bit arrogant i don't know but i used to watch live at the apollo when i was growing up maybe like a early teenager and think i know friends at school that make me laugh more than this yeah. and, and yet these people are on the biggest stage in the uk they're on tv at prime time whilst i'm eating my chips they're on they're on television being introduced by whoever um so why? so why shouldn't I, why shouldn't this be an ambition for me as well yeah um and I think also, and I'd be interested to know if you felt the same way, like watching comedy, I always felt comedy was the most meritocratic of the arts yeah. because acting, you know, people succeed in acting because of who their dad is or who their mum is or how they look or the sort of profession they did before, Maybe they were a famous footballer like Vinnie Jones or a famous model or whatever. Yeah. But in comedy, no one goes to see Michael McIntyre because of who he's related to or because he has a six pack. They they go because he he makes them laugh. <laughs> like that's that's the only thing that takes them to that um to that venue and and makes them pay that for that ticket. So it just seemed to be the most meritocratic art So I just remember, and I love making people laugh, obviously, like all comedians. So yeah, yeah it, it seemed an ambition from an early age. Yeah, it's a. Uh,
0: I... I think I, I saw somebody describe um, a comedian as your own writer, producer, actor, and director, all in one. So I guess it, it does require a bit of a, a rounding of skills, whether we're all good at all of those skills or not. I think it's something that we as comedians try to, um, I say comedians, I say, I don't call myself a comedian, but I, we try to learn as we go. Uh, absolutely. It, i don't want to stand still i want i want to move forward i want to learn how to do things and just watching other people do it is it, it's, it can be quite inspiring so you mentioned friends you've seen friends that are as fun that were funnier <laughs> than the people at the apollo and stuff like that so have any of those friends gone on to do anything or have I you don't... just gone nuts no, see you later boys i'm off <laughs>
1: <laughs> um i don't know that i had any other friends it's a good question i not know that I had any other friends growing up who wanted to be comedians. I don't know anyone from school. No, no one from school that, that, uh, wanted to be a comedian is doing comedy is even doing like open mic circuit comedy, anything like that. Um, it wasn't a widely held ambition. You mentioned it, whereas like everyone wanted to be a footballer, including me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something I've entirely ruled out either, but we'll, uh, We'll see how bad this injury crisis at Liverpool gets. Um <laughs> but, on a on speed dial. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting the call. Um No, yeah, so I, I guess it wasn't even a... And I, I think that's part of the thing that made it more realistic almost, is that I never thought that comedy was that competitive to get mm. into. Um And it kind of lures you in like that because I think especially back then, whereas now like on social media, basically everyone's a comedian. And in that list you gave of things that comedians have to be, I think a really key one is unfortunately publicist. You have to be your own publicist. You have to be pushing yourself out there and really the best and, and uh, to an extent, only way is to be on social media is to be putting out oh, that horrible c-word content. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a key, it's a key aspect of the job now. It's a key. Re- people get signed just off how many followers they have. Um, huge, huge aspect of the industry now, which just didn't exist really when, even when I was growing up, which is not that long ago. So, so how long have How long have you been doing this for now? Um, Since you
0: uh, first stepped on stage?
1: Since I first stepped on stage is a bit of a complicated question. When I first stepped on stage, I remember it was a couple of months into my undergrad at university. That was back in 2013, yeah, Mm -hmm. or maybe very early 2014, but at that particular uni, there wasn't much in the way of gigs. So I'd maybe only gig like like once a term. So like two or three times a year. I was terrified of going onto the open circuit. I did not for a second consider like performing in a, in a pub or a club or anything like that. But I'd say I like started performing regularly um, in 2017. Probably did that for a good three years at uni, solidly. And then a year and a half in London on, and, and the, like, outside of London on the open mic circuit. So probably yeah. about four and a half years of like, regular gigging in total. But started okay. way back in twenty seventeen 2013,
0: 2014. Yeah. So what got you up on that stuff? What, what, what made you just think, yeah, why not? It,
1: it wasn't a why not. It was a very much like I'm going to uni and the first thing on my list is I'm going to join the comedy club. Right. and i remember being dev- absolutely devastated when i'm flicking through the um like freshers brochure or guide of all the clubs they've got and going under c and there was like there was like crochet croquet <laughs> but no comedy i was absolutely <laughs> devastated um and i remember they like someone set up a comedy society in january and like publicized it and I went to the first meeting and I was the only guy there. I, I was the only yeah, person okay. there. There was just the two founders and me. But I was so happy they'd done, they'd done it as it was <laughs> finally seemed like a route to um yeah, doing comedy probably. Cuz cuz I think also I'm interesting to know if you were like this as well. Like at school whenever you had to do a presentation on stage. Mm. Um I realize now looking back like that was me trying to do stand up. I was always like putting into my little, my set, my script. I was always putting like highlighting little bits where you could have jokes here and under the proviso of you keeping them engaged, which of course you are. If you are, if you're the only person telling jokes in the presentation, everyone is going to be listening to your presentation. Yeah. But I loved, I loved it so much. And if you, if you made like the teacher laugh as well, that was like (laughs) an added bonus because they're not supposed to laugh at your jokes, but they, they find it that funny. They can't resist. It was the, best high in the world um, and I think you you get the same thing now where if you're like the equivalent now is if you're at a comedy competition um, hmm. or like a gong show horrible things gong shows and you make a comedian laugh yeah you see comedian laugh you think oh, okay I've done about that, that one's like really good for whatever reason um, so yeah no it was it was always is that like it was on the to-do list top the to-do list to join The comedy clubs was something I really, really wanted to to start sooner rather than later. When I got yeah,
0: yeah, mine mine was slightly different in that um, I was very a uh, a very quiet person at school, and I had no I had no inclination to be anything like that. I had nothing. I decided uh, I only got into it sounds bizarre. I only got into comedy in November twenty
2: twenty two, and
0: um, that was only because I went to my first ever open mic night. At wow. that point, my 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 journey, my comedy before that was the stuff you see on TV. Yeah. The most alternative comedy I'd seen, or you wouldn't even call it underground, was <laughs> to go and see that man up there, uh, Dave Gorman, right, do his Google Whack adventure in Leeds on a whim because I thought, oh, he's a comedian, he's funny, I've got nothing else to do tonight. So I went to see that, and I enjoyed that. And then I think my first ever proper stand-up comedy gig I went to see was Lee Evans live at Wembley Arena. Lee Evans, wow, what a, what a one to kick things off. Yeah, so that's, that was what I thought comedy was. Yeah. Until I went to a, an open mic night in Newcastle in 2022 and then saw this and thought, this looks fun. How do you get to do it? And my mate went, go on, give it a go. And I walked away and went, I don't know how. I've got yeah. no idea. There must be a class or a course or something, and that's how it went. But growing up, uh, I, I, I never, ever wanted to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. I hated the idea of, if anybody suggested, let's have a party for your birthday. No, 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 no. no. I don't yeah, want I people looking at me. Yeah, I don't yeah, want I any of that. Nothing like that. <laughs> and then after that night, in at the stand in newcastle it was oh, let's see how this goes and it's confused everybody ever since They're like but you, <laughs> you never wanted to do this it's like but i realized that in the job that i do i'm quite comfortable standing in front of 100 200 people giving a presentation or a training course yeah and that's 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 a lot easier because you're not trying to make them laugh but you know, if you're doing a training course for a day, two days, or whatever, then you've got to try and make it some elements of fun. So that's kind of my how I got into it, rather than anything else. The desire I, I probably wouldn't even speak to a
1: teacher at school, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I get what you. I mean, Mark Cox, Lee Evans. I see the. I see, that explains why you're always carrying that towel on stage. Just <laughs> I always swear. but it's so true because what you see you're right like what so often what you see a comedian perform and you think i didn't even realize that that could be comedy that what Mm. they're doing on stage is like expanding my the the horizon expanding the scope of what comedy can be which is why i think like one uh, you know a lot of the people hopefully listening to this are like comedians that are trying to get better or, or trying to start the circuit or on the circuit now and like one of the best pieces of of advice i ever got given as a comedian was um watch comedy as simple as that watch comedy. like if you're at a gig if possible like come for the beginning of the gig stay to the end of the gig and see all the comedians perform like watch sitcoms watch specials on netflix all the all the time because it's active It's learning, it's teaching you different joke structures, it's teaching you about timing, it's teaching you about delivery, it's teaching you about how, for example, difficult topics can be joked about. Um, Also, even even things like what are comedians wearing? Like, what are comedians, you know? doing with their hands have like they got drink all this sort of stuff it's it's all it's all learning and it it's really it's key it's like integral you can't you can't do comedy just do writing your own stuff and performing your own stuff and that's it you, you'll never develop as a comedian like that
0: oh I, I completely agree it 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 baffles me when you go to an open mic night and um the person one of the comedians is there sat at the back of the room not doing anything, not engaging with what's going on, looking at their phone, waiting for themselves to go on stage, go on stage, do their five minutes come off, and then either leave or go to the other bar and have a drink. And you're just kind of like you're missing this opportunity of seeing what other people are doing. Whether you're you've got years of experience or not, but that time you see something different. Yeah. And unexpected. Um and it's not even the whole learning, it's that I was there when that happened. because because comedy is so instantaneous it's 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 the moment isn't it no matter how many times you watch it back on video it can always be funny but it's never going to be funnier than than when you're in that room it can't
1: be because you've got the infectious laughter of other people as well yeah so true um no very very true and and all that sort of stuff about and that's what you really start to learn when you're on the circuit versus in an arena, you know, watching Lee Evans. Yeah. So doing comedy on the stage is very, very different. Very, very, very different to doing comedy <laughs> yes. uh, on stage at Live at the Apollo, for example. And and it's such an important lesson to learn because I think I think a lot of comedians, for their first gig, you can see it. Like, you can see them... Basically, trying to copy James Acaster and mm-hmm. think like if I just talk in this like whimsical, uh, absurd way in a in a try in like a particular voice, it'll go well for me like it goes for James Acaster, and yeah. they don't yet understand like the concept of, for example, a crowd being warm. The concept of a crowd being like tight and compact and near to you and like with a low ceiling, so that the laughs reverberate off off the walls and and yeah. like and and just induce other people to laugh and all that sort of stuff. And and I think sometimes people come off gigs and think, why did that go so badly for me? But or or say, why did the same joke go well last week but today it didn't go well? Yeah. Um Sometimes it's because of how you delivered it. Sometimes it's because of the joke you decided to put before or put after. But sometimes it's just because you're performing to a totally different audience, and that audience is not into that joke for whatever reason. Because jokes have markets, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of learning to be done, as you say, by watching other people's acts and wherever possible, definitely would have. And and, and even even if you're even if you're an act that's done like two hundred, three hundred or more, whatever gigs, and you're watching someone do who's only maybe done 10 or 20, that doesn't mean you can't learn from them. Because as you say, like comedy can be so many different things. Yeah. That the comedy you've been doing for 300 gigs could be completely different from the type of comedy this person is doing. And you can therefore learn things from them. They might be doing, they might be doing joke structures that you've never done or never yeah. tried to do. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Just, just watching whoever you're watching, regardless of level, is really, really key to improvement, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you can also if you if you are like you say you're there from the start of the night as well. You are watching a other comedians do which can potentially help with your set as well. So you, so the, the whole comedy show flows, and you're part of that. You've you've linked somebody's yeah. crash joke or somebody's stupid T-shirt, shall we say? <laughs> you know <laughs> that 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 and and you you sort of learn where sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't and uh if you get a chance to see that crowd beforehand and what they're like and what the demographics like you'll know if some of your stuff's going to work or not because if you've got a crowd of i you know 40 to 60 year olds and you make a joke about a boy band if it's not take that they're not going to have a clue yeah and that's why your joke's going to fall flat so knowing what you're performing to I think is so key and it's something I've learned over the last eight nine months I walked on stage with that t-shirt once and got absolutely nothing and it was it was almost you know it wasn't devastating but it threw me off because I didn't have the interaction I expected and that was me not reading the room correctly well the room was too young for that so they didn't know and it was like oh um why is he i don't understand and i was just like ah that, that first joke's not going to make any sense yeah <laughs> you're like ah should have just kept it covered for this one and then just gone with something else
1: we should say as well that i mean am i allowed to say what the t-shirt you says? are yeah the uh Mark t-shirt that says <laughs> not david Medill," which really cracked me up when <laughs> i uh, when i saw you uh wear it and it's and it's also such a good joke because it you don't need to say anything which is very, very rare. I I actually can't really think of anyone else that does a joke like that. Because obviously jokes, I say obviously, my kind of thinking, and a lot of people's thinking, is like you have the setup, you have the information you need to convey in order to enable people to understand the punchline, and you have the Mm. punchline, and the punchline is when people laugh. And you want the setup to be as short as possible as lean as possible because the longer it is the funnier the punchline needs to be to justify how long your setup is yeah. and then you have your punchline and you want your punchline to be as short as possible as concise as possible ideally one word so that um people laugh at the same time yeah if you spread it across one sentence some people might laugh at the beginning they might get the joke at the beginning they might get the joke at the middle they might get the joke at the end and then the laughter never really coalesces and and built into that one like laugh at that moment and the great thing about your t-shirt is that you don't need to say there is no setup the setup is just you walking on stage um i've sometimes thought about that joke and do you think uh, it it might have the issue the latter issue whereby some people maybe aren't paying attention they look at the t-shirt a little bit later they look because someone else is laughing and they think what they're laughing at they start looking a bit more yeah, Do you, have you ever done it where you like walk on stage and you like take off a hoodie to reveal, or you take something off yeah. to reveal it? The, 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 the,
0: it's an interesting thing, actually, how how that joke has um, evolved. I say joke. It, I guess it is a joke without any words. It, it evolved. It started on the comedy course when you, uh, I don't know if you've done a, co- a course of any kind or you've just gone into just making jokes, but on one of the sessions, we were asked name somebody who you think or you've been told you look like Mm. and you know we had a we had a ginger guy in the class and he went oh somebody tells me I look like Ed Sheeran it's like just because you're ginger doesn't Mm. mean you look like Ed Sheeran but then there's there was some there was there was one girl in in the room who said I've been told I look like a stepmother to an 18 year old boy and that that was hilarious it was unbelievable (laughs) because everybody's expecting something famous and she's come out with this the room was in hysterics and then it came to me and i just went uh david Badil. and everybody (laughs) in the room just went nodded and went yeah (laughs)
2: yeah
0: yeah and i thought to myself how can i how can i leverage that
2: Mm. and i
0: told no one i was doing this on the um our showcase night I had the t-shirt made and I got literally got it the day before and I had it underneath a hoodie and I went on stage and I just first line, hello, blah, blah, blah. And just to avoid any confusion, I'm not David Badil. And I pulled, t- I pulled the hoodie off and then revealed it. And then after about two or three gigs doing that, there was one time it felt like I was fumbling. Right. And I- and when I was fumbling, it was like no. I started to panic a little bit, and my head was going no, no, don't get this wrong because otherwise you've lost all the effect. It has to be a smooth transition; otherwise, it's just it's pointless. You'll get a little bit of laugh, but you wouldn't get the impact that you wanted. So I then went for the the method that you saw, which was just walk on with it and not reference it, and let it <laughs> yeah. do its thing, and it works. It's almost that that anchor man thing, isn't it? 90% of the time, it works 100% of the time. <laughs> There's the odd time it hasn't worked. And at the moment, it's not actually part of my set. Yeah. So I kind of, I parked it to one side, but it's being reintroduced again at some point in the very near future. And um, yeah, that's that's how that evolved. And it was my way of, as soon as I realized people were laughing at it, especially when I didn't reference
2: it. Mm
0: it it It's the icebreaker in the room. I don't have to fumble words to start with, and I did put up a clip on um Instagram of me walking on stage with it, and I've not basically don't say a word and it's the clip I think is somewhere between ten and fifteen seconds of pure laughter before I've said a word yeah, and that that never sounds like a lot of time unless you've been on stage for ten <laughs> yeah. or fifteen seconds of silence that feels like forever and yeah that's that's how that evolved and it's yeah it's it's just that little bit of of fun which kind of leads on quite nicely a segue this isn't deliberate on (laughs) to one of the questions is your doesn't have to be your favorite joke but one of the jokes that you've created that has evolved over time and how has it changed
1: yes it's a great i was thinking about this and um one that comes to mind is a, there was so, so at uni um I was studying for a PhD in uh oncology um mm-hmm. and uh you've seen me do this before but there's um a, there's like this thing of how a lot of people don't know what oncology is But they'd often when I'd say I do this PhD in oncology, they say to me what you study, I say I do a PhD in oncology, and I'd see this look in their face of like they're maybe expecting me to explain what it is. Um, (laughs) but sometimes I've explained what it is. So people that don't know it's cancer research, that's what oncology is. Yeah. But sometimes I'd say I'm doing oncology and I'd say it's cancer research. And I'm not exaggerating, someone would say to me, Yeah, I know what it is, like my relative like died of ex-cancer like yeah. a couple of months ago i'm like okay i'm, I'm so and I'm, that's not a good way to start a conversation at as fair <laughs> so, <laughs> so i just so i just started saying i study oncology because i was, I didn't want to say i study cancer research because then that makes it look like oh look at me yeah, i yeah. you know you do i don't know uh, ancient history and i'm actually doing something that's not what i want one to go for i was worried that's how it came across so i just say i do oncology and. There'd be a moment sometimes where people look at me, kind of expecting me to say something. And once this happened, and after a couple of seconds, I was about to say, it's cancer research. And the person went, birds. (laughs) 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 I just remember we both, like, I like burst out laughing and the look of embarrassment on their face. And I remember they just kept saying to me, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I said this so I don't know if Lucia is listening thank you very much Lucia for that um because it kind of because then I, I just I think as you say like how they develop the jokes it's really kind of satisfying when you look back at them because it was something that she said to me that was just absurd and ridiculous and I would never have come up with as a way mm-hmm. of opening a routine and then I kind of developed it into like well what have other people said to me, I just i think of all other people said to me, and like there was this one time at a gig before um the night where they I think they were uh yeah they were from Middlesbrough and I changed the joke. I changed it to be like they're from Middlesbrough but they grew up in Yorkshire because I can do like a, a I can do like a four out of ten Yorkshire accent, but I can't yeah. do a Middlesbrough accent at all. Um and they said to me, "Oh, so what do you do?" And I was like, "I, I just finished my PhD in oncology." And they were like, "All oh, right, okay." Mm-hmm. And uh, we got talking, and then they, I said to them, like, "Where are you from?" And they said, "Well, I, I've come from uh, from Middlesbrough." And then they went, "You probably don't know where that is, do you?" And I'm like, "Oh no, it, it's by um, it's like by Teesside, like north northeast, right?" And they go, "Oh my god." He really has got a PhD. <laughs> I, just, I just remember I was bursting out laughing as well. Um, so then I put that into the set and I made a joke about like, the time that I went to Middlesbrough and school trip and blah, blah, blah. and then I made and then the punchline I really liked was and then I like invented a situation. So those first two were like based on something that was said and you can do stuff that people have said to you and is is very funny, but like, I think also sometimes comedians can recognize that okay this has happened to them in real life and they're retelling us this in a way that's engaging and like the delivery is great and like they've you know structured the joke well but then what have they written like what have they come up with themselves um and i'm always very conscious about that like i'm trying to i'm not just like telling funny stuff that's happened if yeah, you can yeah. do that to start with, but then you've got to develop it um, and show what you can do as well. Even if it's, even if that's just yourself. So I, I created the situation whereby, like, I'm at a party and I'm talking to someone, and they're very like part. I, I love as well. As well, I, so I'm, I'm really going a lot of tangents, but I realised early on in my comedy career that if I I talk a lot about race, being being British Muslim, being Arab. And I realised just subconsciously that whenever I was doing a joke where someone said something racist to me, I'd give them like a kind of regional accent. Okay. Like like that's what people's default is. Like if someone's racist, they come they you know they they have this particular background and they they have this you know they come from these parts of the country or whatever. And I just thought, what well, that's that's very prejudiced. Like that's very like that is. A a stereotype. That's something that I've like picked up from the media or from whatever. And so I really conscious. And then I also thought about it, and I thought like, well, ninety percent of the racism I faced has come from people that are very, very posh, very, very rich. Um, have I remember at uni being asked like, uh, after a gig, they were like, oh, you're the um, you're the Iraqi comedian. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, so are you a refugee then? and like the whole set the whole set i've talked about like being from birmingham and like going to school and this and that and i speak like this like i and he was just like oh iraqi like refugee and very very posh guy very very posh guy so i thought okay i'm going to do a joke where it's like a posh guy that i'm making fun of now yeah um and i told a bit about he he like comes up to me and he says "Me, that's so laudable that you that you do oncology like what's um and he says, do you do do you do any research on woodpeckers? And I say, oh, sorry, I think I think you're thinking of ornithology, um, not gotcha. oncology, ornithology. I, I just do cancer research. And he says, wait a minute, mate, wait, that's still pretty good, mate. That's still pretty good. Um and I remember that worked, and I remember I remember just like saying it and thinking just like as a throwaway line, but it got like the biggest laugh of that section. And then I thought, well, how can you follow it up? Because when you've done a really good punchline, it's like Um I only learned this term recently, but there's the idea of tags. Mm-hmm. The idea of you can stick on another punchline that yep. uses the same setup, but it's like another easy like laugh to get because you've, you've already done the And I added this tag of saying how um oh He says, oh, mate, it's still pretty good. And he says, to be fair, mate, I didn't even know they could get cancer. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so happy with that punchline because it was like the first one's funny, but in my opinion, the second one's funnier. So the people think, okay, the first one's really funny. That's it. That's the end of the bit. And then you come up with the second one that builds on the exact same setup, but is hopefully funnier in really quick succession um for me that's like often like the highlight of the set and it's very satisfying because as you say it started with something someone randomly said to me in 2018 17, 18. that's amazing um, yeah so uh,
0: yeah uh, that's 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 really good that's really i i think it's um i'm just getting to the point where you you sort of learn on how to phrase things and how to what is the actual punchline of the joke? What 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 is the what is the word that makes people laugh? Mm. And how you how you can just turn a joke from you you almost inverse it in a in a weird kind of way because I have a I have a line that's that started off something along the lines of um My brain's as empty as a Rishi Sunak promise. Right. Which, which in itself is is quite <laughs> okay. But somebody told me said try changing it so now the line is my brain is as empty as a promise from rishi sunak and for some reason ending a word ending in a k (laughs)
2: has
0: has an impact in somebody's head because it's such a strong word a strong letter it doesn't feel like there's anything else after yeah it's almost saying that's the end do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's those interesting things I'm finding and learning about how how the the psychology of the brain works and stuff. And I, I fall into the trap sometimes of, I don't know if you've done this, and you, you may have done it in the past, is when a joke doesn't quite go as well as it you think it should. But rather than stopping at the punchline and moving on to the next joke, you, you say a couple of extra words after it. Hmm in the hope that it's going to compensate and bring people back into that punchline, uh, 90% of the time it never works. <laughs> you should just stop and move on and don't dwell on the fact that this bit didn't quite hit and don't try to fix it in the next few seconds that
1: you've got because you're not not—you're never going to be able to. 100% agree. 100% agree. Um, what you're saying about the K, that is really fun. I'd never thought about that and it makes, it makes sense. Um, it reminds me of how like Rowan Atkinson with Mr. Bean, I'm mm. not like, if you read the Wikipedia article, like there's a section where it just talks about like how funny his pronunciation of the letter B is when he goes, <laughs> it's like, yeah. there's something about it. That's, it's like even the way a particular letter sounds, like the phonetics, it can make a huge difference yeah. to how funny a joke is or why you find the joke funny. And like, that, it, yeah, it's really <clears throat> It's like science. It's like you're looking, you do the joke a number of times, and then you get back data, and you look at the data, and you think, well, what did I change between each joke? What could be the reason that the the laugh is greater or lesser now? And trying to understand why the joke is funny, such a vital skill when you're a comedian, because then when you understand why something is funny, you can apply it to different things, and you can start thinking of, okay, well, this is why joke A is funny joke B or maybe joke D or E or F later on in the set, I want to make mm. them funny for different reasons to keep yeah. it like fresh for whatever, um, to keep it engaging. Um, and what you said about, yeah, that's so, so true. The number of times I always say like, if a joke doesn't go well, they, and, we, and you're expecting it to go well, it's a punchline. I always try and do one of two things. Number one, 90% of the time I just keep going and act like, It wasn't, as you say, it wasn't a joke anyway. That's fine that you didn't laugh at it. I didn't expect you to laugh at it. And maintain that level of confidence that you're presenting your set with. Um, Or number two is if you can find something really funny to say in the moment. I I used to have a joke where I'd say, um, oh, there's there's a tabloid newspaper I saw that said Muslims are waging a war on Christmas. I'm Muslim. Of course we're not waging a war on Christmas. It's a jihad. Um, and I remember once I did it in a place, a place called Alton. Um, it was in like a working men's club. I think there was like a picture of like the queen behind me on the stage and no one laughed when I said it. (laughs) And then I said, um, oh, what that reaction tells me is that you don't have a mosque here in Alton, do you? (laughs) Um, and then everyone laugh. So if there's something you can think of like that that I think go for it. But what I hate yeah. is when I see, not hate because I think like, oh, you're not doing yourself any favours here, is when someone says, oh, well, you didn't like that one, did you? Or, oh, okay, that one's never going to be done again. Yeah. Because I, I can see why people do it because you, you, 9 out of 10, you will get a laugh. But I just, I worry that it, you're kind of denigrating yourself. Mm-hmm. You're making people think, 'Cause people don't know, like when you go on stage, you could be like, you could be on the Apollo. Like some people they don't even know, like they don't even watch Apollo. They they just y- you might actually be on the Apollo. Like, like Joe Lysa could come into their comedy club. There's people around that won't know who Joe Lysett is. Yeah. And if Joe Lysett does an opening joke that's not great, and the audience is made up of people that ninety percent of them don't know who Joe Lyset is, it will not go great for Joe Lysett. Yeah. Um so when you do a joke that you say like you kinda of denigrate yourself, you may, and people start to think, Oh, he's just an amateur yeah we don't need to treat his joke seriously we don't need to expect to laugh at each joke and i worry that if you you lose that you have a really strong opener and then you, you do another joke and people start thinking oh he's not that funny i won't laugh at the rest of his set i i think the risks are too high with doing that sort of stuff
0: yeah it's like when i've never i've never done this but i've seen other comedians do it and i do i i did a workshop once and and the the guy running it said never ever say this and it's when a comedian comes and says i'm going to try some new stuff are you up for this it's it's new to them every time anyway
1: well yeah, exactly it, yeah it, it doesn't matter
0: whether it's new to you or not don't don't. you're using a get out of jail free card if it doesn't go well then they're going to go oh okay that didn't work but because it's new to you it's because it's it's, it's always new to the audience because nine times out of ten they've not seen you before yeah so don't 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 waste that 2 or 3 seconds doing that and i and when somebody comes in and says oh i'm i'm going to do a little bit something a bit more risky is everybody up for that i i saw a guy and i honestly i can't remember what his name was and he did a gig and he he was introduced as this was like his fifth or sixth time on stage and he killed the room he was amazing i, I if you'd seen him you'd have gone three years, four years, he's into this. yeah. And then he did a joke at the end about male rape.
2: And the room just went, yeah, absolutely
0: gone. And it's like, you've just killed your five minutes of perfection by making a joke on an edgy subject that just didn't work. And based on what the room was doing beforehand, the room wasn't ready for that. Mm. And, all anybody's going to remember from your set now is that end (laughs) and it's such a shame yeah
1: it is a shame but but also it's a learning experience and and if that person learns from okay there's something wrong there i've it's not even necessarily that you never do the joke again as you as you said like it could be that for whatever reason the room oh well there's a lot of reasons a room might not be ready or a joke yeah. like that. Um or Sunday be, afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I and I hundred I hundred percent agree with uh not saying I'm gonna do some new material, like is that all right? Like like as you say, people are most of the time you're not performing to producers, you're not performing to like comedy industry pros, the joke's all new to them anyway. And it just makes them think like, oh okay, this I just think like th- there's this Thing called the observer effect. Have I spoken to you about this in physics? No, no. Thing called the observer effect. Um, I'm sorry if this puts anyone to sleep, but it's, it's fascinating. Where in 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 um, physics they were like observing electrons, and they found that if they observed the electron, the electron behaved differently. It, it would behave either as a wave or as a particle. Okay. And this gave rise to a field um, of mechanics called quantum mechanics as opposed mm-hmm. to classical mechanics. And this idea of the observer effect of if you're watching something, the way that thing behaves will change, I think applies in comedy. Yes. If you're telling people the jokes I'm doing are new, therefore I'm watching your reaction to see how funny you think they are, mm-hmm. the audience starts to sit back and think, okay, let's see, I'll let's judge just how funny these jokes are. Whereas if you don't say anything and present it as your best material, yeah. they'll keep laughing as they've always been laughing. And yeah. that's what you're really interested in. Because 90% of the time, you, if you're doing a pro gig, you're not going to come out and say, oh, this is, some of this isn't that good. So just be yeah. aware of that before you... Um, so yeah, I, I 100% agree.
0: So sort of talking about being on stage, the, what, I guess these are two typical questions that anybody's going to ask. What's your best ever performance? and then obviously going to be followed by what's the, the worst, if you ever want to recount that again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, best? Yeah, I was thinking about this. It, again, you do so many that they they kind of... It's funny because the best gig, it might be you doing your 10 minutes of, or five minutes or whatever of best, best material. And it goes really well, let's say. But you might be less satisfied after a gig like that than a gig where you do 10 minutes, eight of it's brand new,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and two minutes of that brand new goes really well. And then you're thinking, oh, yes, I've just expanded. You know, I've I've got a really good joke there and I can build up. And you might feel much better after that than you do after the gig uh, material that you've done since the dawn time. That yeah. goes very well. Um that said, for me, it was probably and the one that jumps out is winning the award, uh, Birmingham Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. I think I really that was really good because, one, I was with the other acts of people that I really respected and enjoyed their set. And two, it felt really nice to be gigging back in Birmingham where I'm from, to have the crowd made up of Brummies that 99% of them I didn't know. And to be talking about being from Burmese, that, that felt really, really satisfying. And then obviously to, to win was amazing. So that was probably the best um, in terms of how I felt after the gig, I yeah. think. Worst, I was thinking about this, and worst, <sighs> if we're talking about like worst or in terms of my stage reaction, I remember there was this one gig. Goodness me. And Mark, I, I don't know. Do you gig much in London? Yeah,
2: you know, that's I've pretty seen much you do a couple,
1: Yeah. So there are gigs in London that I encourage anyone listening, reach out to me and say, should I do this gig? Or to any comedian you know, should I do this gig before before you go to the gig and save yourself potentially an evening of your life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this gig is is one of said gigs, and it was this horrible. Weirdly, it, it, really it wasn't a basement. It was it was a room above a pub. Everyone there's a comedian, and the compare at this gig, my goodness me, he could transform. Um, any party you could have David. Getter, like DJ, he could transform that party into a morgue in thirty seconds max. <laughs> <laughs> it it was actually amazing to see him at work. And I remember this one person, a lot of the acts were terrible. One person came on stage and they were kind of inexperienced, but they were so likable on stage that even in this yep. room you couldn't help but like laugh a little bit at them and and be on their side. And the comes on after us and he says, um, Right. Um, just uh, to remind everyone that it is really five minutes. Um, and if you could stick to the five minutes, otherwise we'll be here all night. And no one wants mm-hmm. that. Got a lot of people to get through. So he just, he's looking at the person there, like the South Rose. Road too, Yeah. Just five minutes next time. Yeah. Right. Um, who's in there? I just thought, oh my God, what am I doing here? This is like four of 18. And I was right. on 17th, I performed, and I messed up the opening joke, and it taught me such a good letter, like, it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you mess up that opening joke, unless they know you from TV or from a sitcom, their opinion of you has crashed through the floor, yeah. and I never recovered from the opening joke and um, I remember as well, my best, like one of my best friends from school was there. It was like the first time he'd seen me. And I said to him, film it. I just kept saying to him, like, keep the camera still. Don't yeah. try and shake it. Like, don't try and laugh out loud because it'll, it'll blur. And there was no worry about laughing out loud and <laughs> That was the least of my problems. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was, uh... and it's good to think about these things because it, I think whenever you do a really good gig, think about the gigs where it hasn't gone well. Yeah. Um and let, and when you, when you've done a bad gig think about the gigs where it's gone really really well. Mm. Just remember it's like sometimes it's not always your fault, sometimes it's other factors and just to always stay kind of balanced as it's a good approach I think.
0: Oh yeah, no yeah, 100%. Yeah, sometimes you have to you have to accept that to appreciate a good gig there has to be there has to be a comparison. And sometimes when the bad bad gigs go really bad you I don't know if you've been in this situation. You may have been in that situation on that night is that when it? you know, your material is quite good or you're confident in your material and you see other comedians before you and you think, uh, they're, they're, they're not, they're not all that, but I can, I think I can save this room. Mm. You, have, you have that <laughs> feeling and then you just go just when you come off stage, you go, I didn't save that room at all. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Just accept it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I've done that so many times. Well, I say so many times. I've done that at least two or three times at a particular night where the night is just comedians and you look at the comedians in the room and you, you kind of some of them you can go up and have a, a chat with and introduce yourself. And there's some that feel very standoffish, as a lot of comedians can be sometimes. And they're they're, they're of the ilk where they're they're here to perform and they don't care about anyone
2: else. Mm-hmm.
0: And whenever I do them, I always say to myself, don't try and save. Don't try and think you can make them laugh. Don't try and save the room. Use it as an experiment. No one's going to see this. If you want to practice and crowd work, use that as your thing. Don't talk to them and try to engage them in your set and use that as a skill based opportunity rather than another chance to just reiterate the same five minutes again. So true. And it's. Every time I've said to myself, do that, I bottle it and I do it the same <laughs> five minutes and I end up dying. And it's just like, what did you expect? You knew it was going to happen at the start, but you still perceived and thought, I could do it. But No, don't. Just reading the room before you go on is so, so important, I think.
1: Those are great observations. Yeah, They're very, very, very good observations. Exactly. You're right. That's people where I've done... I think any big gig I've done where there's like more than, even if it's just more than like 30 people in the crowd, by the end of like 10 minutes, or even like if you're doing a 20, like 15 minutes, I can see, I can pick out people in the crowd that look upset. They just look like they just don't like me, and when yeah. and when you don't like someone, it is so difficult for that someone to make them laugh. Mm really really difficult for someone that you don't like to make you laugh and you just have to accept that you just have to like as you say you're playing to less of the room and don't worry about the people that aren't laughing worry about the people that worry about the people who laugh when the joke is funny and don't laugh when it's not yeah because those are the ones that are really telling you a lot of useful information the ones that laugh irrespective of what you say because maybe you've got friends in the crowd great thanks for coming but the ones that you're really focusing on, as you say, those ones that feel meritocratic? They're yeah. laughing when they think the joke's funny and and not when when it's not. So so actually, this
0: kind of you mentioned earlier about the the winning of the competition. How did how did you was that a, an ambition just to enter it and see what happened, or how did that process work? Because I, I I'd not heard of the being from the south. <laughs> not, not heard of the uh the uh the very long uh winner's title how yeah. how did you just go for it and think i've got a chance at this
1: well it's one to be honest i've not heard of many competitions like this but it isn't um open to applications okay it's nominated by uh, i'm not actually sure who nominated me but it's basically people I don't even necessarily think it's it's Brummies that are only gigging in Birmingham, but I definitely think it helps to gig in Birmingham so that you get <laughs> to be known by the promoters and and the guy that runs the, the festival. Um but I remember like being aware of it before and I knew that um uh two people are really like Josh Pugh and Celia A. B. Um I think Josh is still based in the Midlands, but Sylvia now lives in London. She may have lived in London at the time as well. Um, really, really liked them, and I saw that they've been previous winners. So I remember like messaging them, being like, "How can I apply?" And they said, "No, yeah. it's 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 just for people that have not been nominated." And I think the comedy competitions—they're uh, really—they're they're inherently flawed mm-hmm. because comedy is subjective. Everyone knows that comedy is. To a degree subjective, yeah, and especially when you 've got people that are all good, how can you decide what 's better and also how how can you know some people the com- the, the company is so alternative yeah they 're constructing a whole world in their set, and then the jokes really start to come when they've built that world, yeah, how can you do that in five minutes you can 't um, you, you're very very. Sort of, you, you're fighting a, an uphill battle. Whereas, like a comedian that's a one-liner comedian, you could say a five minutes is much more. You could say a five minutes is much more naturally suited to that style of comedy. So you're already yeah. biasing against certain styles of comedy. Um Oh my God, Mark! Something I see. It, I mean, I hate gong shows. I really don't like gong shows. Something you will see. And I'd love to get your opinion on this. Is I've seen gong shows where I think I watch. I watch a man on stage doing terribly, like mm-hmm. really terribly. I'd say two out of 10, three out of 10 max. And they'll do four minutes. So if, if people don't know Gong Show, you people in the audience have cards and you're trying to last five minutes without all three audience members putting up their cards and saying they don't like your set. Yeah. If all three cards go up, you get gongs off That's So your time's over. You've got to try and last five minutes. That's the goal. And I've seen people like that Two out of ten comedy get to four minutes and think, get rid of the guy, get rid of the guy. This is painful. Get rid <clears> of him. <throat> but mm. I, have seen women go onto the stage and do okay, do like five out of ten. Like there's something there. Yeah, gone in under a minute. And yeah. I really think, like even till now, there persists this, and and it varies depending. But this is in central London. We're talking about persists this perception of like a comedian looks a particular way. And talks about certain things and is a man. Uh, yeah. Really, specifically is <clears throat> is a man. And if you're a woman, you walk on stage, people are already thinking, "Hold on here, what's going on? Are, yeah. you, are you are you really funny?" Um, and it takes one bad joke for them to be like, "Okay, you're not."
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. There's um, I I don't know if you're aware of a, a lady called Kim Hope. I'm not, but I will look them up whilst you. She's um she's been doing comedy for quite a while and I've kind of got to know her over the last uh eight months or whatever. And she said she's been she's been doing like comedy for years. Uh mainly on the open mic circuit. But
1: I recognise her, yeah, I definitely recognize her. She
0: did a um she did her first gong show probably about, I don't know, two or three months ago, and I said, You'll walk it. You'll absolutely walk it. Her energy on stage is 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 chaotic, but it's hilarious. And she, I, I messaged her the day after. How did it go? Uh, I lasted about two and a half minutes. Yeah, I'm like, you, you can, you, you can engage a room on like a normal open mic night for ten minutes as a headliner. Yeah, but but a, a, a gong set just, I can't. I, you know when you see something, you go, I can't believe that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's i think you're talking about it's the perception thing i think if she was a man she she would have lasted longer yeah i think i think there is a certain element of that and there's a certain perception of what that person is on stage and i think when sometimes when you get uh people that are overpoweringly confident there's a there's somebody with that card feels like they have the power to shut that confidence down. Yes, so true. Yeah. But if that person's a little bit meek and a little bit, you know, there's that, I will give them a chance. Mm. Cause I I've done one gong show. I'm actually doing one next week. And when I did my first one, I actually forgot part of my set. And I, I said something like, Oh, this always happens. This, 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 this is, I'm, I'm new to this. And I got a cheer. and i i I got to four and a half minutes and it's just like you've sat through all of this and you've missed the punchline of the whole set yeah it's not it's not it wasn't a gong set i know that but i thought i'd give it a go for a bit of a laugh but yeah the perception of some is is interesting when you especially when you i've seen some acts which i i just don't understand I, I I don't I, I, I can't talk too much about them because they're so unique. But when you see something <laughs> and you kind of go, I don't I don't I, it's just not for me. Mm. But it's fine. But if I was if I was at a Gong show and I was an audience member and it wasn't for me, I'd feel more inclined to leave them on. Mm. In the hope they'd win me over. Because I think there's a. There's a couple of others I know that have done some gong shows and uh, he did one just before Christmas and he put it on Facebook. I asked him how it went. He said, oh, yeah. Um, he said, before I finished my first joke, there was a woman in the front row who was waving a card. And this was at Beat the Blackout where you get two minute free grace. Yeah. And he hadn't finished his first joke and she's got a card up. And like so, that's not how this works.
1: I, I know people that have gone on stage and they said, hi, I'm X, I'm gay, card up straight away. I I mean what what message are you I mean I mean it's one person you know I'm not saying it's not anything bad about the particular venue or whatever but that is it it's like three people and you can have the whole crowd laughing and sometimes three people don't like the joke and that's it so it, it's it's luck like a lot of luck is involved yeah in I don't want to denigrate anyone that does gong shows or is like really but I just think you know Something I would change about this comedy circuit, I'd make people less invested in gong shows because I think a lot of people they do them and they think like that's how they're going to be spotted or that's how they're yeah, going to yeah. be seen by a venue. And ninety nine percent of the time, that is not like, people do King Gong at a Comedy Store in London. It's like the most famous gong show, the most yep. brutal gong show. And I know people that have like done it like four or five times. And they're thinking like, oh, the next time I'll get another and I'll be that close, much closer. People win the Gong Store and never – they win King Gong and they never get their promised 10 minutes at the Comedy Store or they do yep. their promised 10 minutes at the Comedy Store and that's it. They never hear from the Comedy Store again. You do not get into the Comedy Store long-term by winning King Gong. No. But for a lot of open mic comedians who um, are yet to hear the wisdom of the open mic <laughs> podcast with Mark Fox. <laughs> where else do they go for this knowledge no one no one teaches you oh you're going into comedy just read this uh, quick pdf that tells you uh yeah. this is how Gong really works this is how Gong shows really work this is how you get booked this is how you write emails to promoters this is how you get on, blah 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 um which is why a lot of people do courses and why courses are i know some people think oh i've seen someone um post about how they're like They're making comedy, they're like packing out with too many people and they're making it difficult to get on gigs because there's so many people. What a ridiculous thing to say. These people, like comedy is inherently like a bit inaccessible because of how steep the learning curve is. All these people are doing is teaching people how to navigate that curve. Mm -hmm. And you have people saying, Oh, there's two minutes. That's that's competition. Like if yeah. you if you're if you think you're struggling because of how many people there are that have graduated from courses, my advice would be become better at comedy yeah, so that you stand out more uh, it, it's such a there's such a an elitism about some people in comedy they they really think that they have a god given right to be doing comedy and, and anyone else it it yeah frustrates me a lot That's an
0: interesting point actually because one of the things that has been with, I've seen recently is that when when we talk about comedy courses and people doing them to get onto it is the sheer number of people that go beyond the showcase from the comedy course is so small Mm. in the course that i did um i've done i'm coming up to 40 gigs the next person behind me not that it's a race but in comparison to how people seriously taking it on is uh i think there's one guy who's on about eight then the next one behind them, so I think on like three or four, and then that's it.
2: Yeah.
0: Out of the call started with sixteen people, so four, four or five have actually gone on to do an extra gig after, but very few then actually then go on to the next stage, and actually try and get on the circuit. So it's almost a misnomer that there is the the market's being flooded with people because there's just two or three yeah every, from every course that are doing it there's not there's not the 16 you know you've got however many courses run throughout london you're not getting 100 percent turnover of everybody then going on to actually doing a show
1: i think people are just frustrated right. that comedy is tough comedy is like competitive yeah. and that's exactly as you say the reason comedy is so competitive is not because of comedy it's because of like instagram and social media yeah. has made and youtube has made people think oh anyone can be a comedian yes and that's how it should be that is yeah. how it should be. It should be that anyone thinks they can. And that's that's why I think a lot of people do comedy because they they don't feel that the same barriers exist.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing I'd, I'd always say about some things is that you don't don't get hung up about um, clap off competitions and stuff like that.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: They're always they're always they're always quite. Um, if you don't bring in enough people, you're not going to win. Just accept that. If you're there to perform, just perform a bit. Enjoy it. And then if you get something out of it, then great. I think there's there's I, I think inherently the clap off is a um is a poor way of judging a an audience judging a yeah. competition. Of course. Um but I also think that there's some there's some way you'd you'd vote for your for your top two or three or whatever out of everybody you've seen. Which again I think is a it's not the best way the best way i've seen recently and i know you won this one of the heats was the clap back to reality yeah. where the audience members vote on each person they don't vote for their favorite yeah they vote on you know on a, whatever the scale is one to five and say yeah that that guy had me in hysterics that's a five that guy was pretty good that girl was very good i will give her a four that kind of thing and you're you're voting that You're giving that person a score based on the merit of what you've seen, not in
1: comparison to what other people are doing. Do you see what I mean? Honestly, yeah, that scoring system is going to... If Gary patents that, it'll make him a millionaire. It's a really, (laughs) really clever um, system. But ultimately, as you said, I really think that's the most important thing. If you're a comedian listening to this podcast, open mic comedian, I think the most important advice... Uh, has just been said when you said like don't go into competitions really hung up about winning or not because it's a it's a comedy competition how is that ever going to be fair even with gary's fantastic five-star scoring system it's never going to be fully it's impossible for it to be fair because people have different tastes different people on the night you might have got different scores whatever different judges whatever like and I think you begin to realize that is that the people that from this kind of current crop of people that are doing the circuit now, do you honestly think that the guys that that make it onto Live at the Apollo will be the ones that necessarily won the gong shows or won? Like, no, yeah. that's not, that's never, that is, that is, does not signify that um, at all. And to an extent that's right because a comedy competition can never be a true recognition of yeah, who, there is no such thing as really there's no such thing as the best comedian, objectively. It's all subjective, regardless. Yes. So don't get too hungry. The number of times, honestly, Mark, I've had people message me saying bro, it's BS about this competition. I can't believe this competition, they oh they, they only prefer this type of comedian or they only prefer this type. Just just relax, just go into it, do your bit, you're rolling the dice basically. Fair enough, roll the dice, fair enough, all these reasons to do the competitions do it but appreciate that you are to a large extent rolling the dice yes and sometimes you may win and sometimes you may lose and that's, that's just life
0: yeah it's, it's it's so true just just you almost have to you almost have to treat each gig each competition just as a gig and just yeah just forget it and forget anything else that's around it it doesn't matter exactly and go ahead and enjoy it. I've, I've done it before where i've turned i've seen i've seen a list of the people that are performing and i've gone he's better than me he's better than me he's better than me he's better than me and i've just gone i said to a friend of mine i said uh, i said um uh, it's not going to happen there's not going to be any winners coming tonight and he went oh, i'm sure it'll be fine he's a comedian mm. and i sent in the list and he went oh okay i see what you mean because <laughs> <laughs> some of them are just that much better and you're mm. like and I, I then take comfort in that the person I I put my vote in for was the person that won it. And you kind of go the best, the best person, the person that made me laugh and made the room laugh was the winner. It's fine. Mm. I accept that. And I went into that going, I'm not going to win. It's fine. I'm just going to do my five minutes. I'm going to get some laughs out of it. And hopefully I'll get a half decent video
2: that I can use.
1: And that's Grouchy, what I wanted. She'd have. Yeah. Great Should to have.
0: But, uh, so the, You've. Um, I don't know if I'm if I'm fair to say this. You're kind of graduating beyond open mics now. Is that fair mm, to say? Because you're now yeah. sta- you're a signed artiste.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah, you could say that. Yeah. So how have you found that whole process?
1: Oh, honestly, Mark, we could talk. We could do a whole series about, um, gang getting an agent, getting signed. So this is re- And if we're talking about comedy, how comedy has an inherent learning curve that's very steep, mm-hmm. I think trying to get an agent in the industry, it's even, it's even steeper. It's even more like, there's even more of those things that, oh, I'd, I wouldn't have known that, or I wouldn't have known this, and there's even fewer people to tell you that, yeah. to advise you um uh, yeah so yeah i am i am signed and that has helped um it definitely helps and it gets you i think in rooms and in conversations that you wouldn't otherwise get into yeah and it does give you a certain level of um it's impossible for me to prove this really but it does give you a certain level of a promoter sees that okay this person is represented by an agent therefore they must be they they might be good they might be yeah. worth taking a chance on, whereas before I'd have to like have been told something good by another promoter, or maybe I'd have to have like really enjoyed the material that I saw in the video, or whatever. Um I think the most important again, if people are listening and want advice about getting an agent or what I'd say the most important thing is that getting an agent is absolutely by no means the be-all and end all. There are a lot. A lot of unsigned acts out there that in my opinion are better than signed acts right now Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 also that being signed to a bad agent is much much worse (laughs) than not being signed at all in my opinion um so i think it's like a it's a and it takes a long time like i was the the people I'm represented by now, they're I've been speaking to them for about, I want to say, 18 months? Nearly 18 months before um, before I was signed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to an extent, that's good because you're, you are learning about each other. You're going to know each other. There's like an element of trust that develops or relationship. Because like ultimately, it's all about relationships. Um, yeah i mean many of the arts industries are about relationships um so yeah i think like a lot of people i think are quite stressed about that because but i just say i think like one like your life does not change overnight when you get signed ultimately an agent is there to like sell you yeah you have to be the best comedian you can be and you can you need to have like the most sort of um arrows to your bow you need to be have something about you that is marketable for an agent yeah. it's not the case that you sign up an agent and then the next day you're on live with apollo whatever like you have to give them a reason to for example convince the producer that you should be on live with apollo i mean that's not yeah. how it works but yeah you see what i mean um yeah so it's just a long and there's so there's I've met with I can't even tell you so many agents and agents are have you ever watched Frasier the sitcom Frasier
0: Uh, briefly in and out it's it's never been on my it should be I've been told it should be on my list to watch oh it should be
1: I love it. It It's my favorite sitcom. And there's a character there that's Frasier's agent called Bibi Glazer. And she is the slimiest, like most backstabbing, like amoral person in the entire show. And it's, you see why agents to an extent have to be like that. Um yeah, so like I've heard of people like doing show, and it's happened to me where like I'm doing a show, an agent said, "Yeah, I'll be there," and it's taken you months to get that book and that gig book in central London for them to come to. Just don't turn yeah. up. okay. Yeah, it's happened, I and mean, they won't they won't be apologetic about it either. Um, I think one agent did that to me, and then the next day they emailed me saying. Hey, sorry I couldn't make it. Send me your dates, and I'll see. I'll see if I can come to another one. I just thought, how rude. <clears throat> yeah. How rude are you? But that's how it works. That's how it works. They feel entitled to do that. I think because there are a lot of unsigned acts out there, and I think like a lot of agents are basically just lazy. Like they're not. They're not out there looking for talent. They're basically just their inbox gets hundreds of emails. Yeah. And they see, okay, who's gigging in central London that I can come to after work. Whereas, of course, if it, like in a, in a really meritocratic system, you'd have this. Like, and I think this is what a lot of people think happens: is you have agents going to like random open mic gigs, just on a on a whim, seeing yeah. like an amazing act and signing them the next day. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, it just doesn't doesn't work like that. Fair enough.
0: So you you mentioned, you've mentioned uh, Apollo a few times. So it's a little fun <laughs> question for you that you're not aware of. So you become super super famous. You're about to do your your first ever live at the Apollo in front of 5,000 people, you've got your 15 minutes or whatever it is lined up. Yeah. What is your
1: walk-on music? Yeah, it's a... Re- I, I think... It's a really interesting question because... um, You want something that's going to pump up the crowd, that's going to really... You don't want to be walking onto... Um, god what's that song but i'm thinking of like a simon garfunkel song you don't want to be walking onto a simon garfunkel song like (laughs) full stop um you don't want to be yeah you want something upbeat and like high tempo but i think you also want something that's going to like give a, a just a little like indication of what's to come of like what is this comedian about and this is something you realize when you're like everything matters when you're a comedian like the stage the music the introduction the comp that all matters yeah um and anything you can influence you've got to really think about okay well what should i do here what's the best option to take i think probably it's it's maybe a bit hacked but like i probably have like an arabic song yeah just something to give you an indication of like even you just like hear me and you'd be like oh okay you don't normally hear this kind of music on like the yeah. bbc like what's what's this guy about um but then you also have to think i used to do i used to open with a joke that um i'd say oh my uncle came to visit me from birmingham and um or he came to visit me from bristol visit us in birmingham and i showed him around and after i said to him what do you think and he says oh it's a bit dangerous <laughs> He's from Baghdad. So (laughs) if you're doing a joke like that, you don't want the audience to know necessarily that you're Arabic beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Because I look quite like a little bit ethnically ambiguous. I don't, I specifically don't, even the fact it's annoying that I'm called Hassan. I'd much rather be called Mark. (laughs) So it comes as (laughs) as, as, as even more of a surprise. So you've got to think about that. But yeah, I think there's uh, like some Arabic. There's some called, um, I think it's called Habibi uh, Nur al-Ain. My Arabic is terrible, but I think it means
0: it's better than mine,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mark. I've seen I've seen your bit about a bar in Baghdad. You're being harsh on yourself, there, Mark. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think an Arabic song probably has a song called Habibi Anur Baheim, which means "My Darling," the light of my eye. Um, okay, check out on uh, on, Spotify, <laughs> on Spotify, people. <laughs>
2: That's is it?
1: Yeah, it's
0: it's an interesting one. What people, certain people pick, it's actually it's quite. I think everybody thinks of my immediate thought is obviously the upbeat thing. It's the punch. It's the mm. uh, the classic one is or for me the classic one that I is synonymous with one particular comedian is ACDC um, yeah Smith. Yeah, and that that immediate punch, it just has that that room's going to be bang but you make a really good point is if you make the room bang and you're not that energetic yeah yeah it's it you've immediately brought the mood of the room down so you could almost go the other way and have like a uh, it's probably a really famous piece of music you know the film snatch you get the I've little. Of it. There's a little. There's a little bit of an instrumental stuff that's like. done It's. It's. I think it's based around Greek music. I think, and um, mm. it kind of like does a build, and a build. It's like a very. I can't remember the tune. I'd have to find it and um, probably link it at some point and send it to you. But it builds and 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 then boom. And Then it's you. Yeah. And then it's up to you to do the rest. There's no there's no hit, it it's the building of it that yeah, keeps you going. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's 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 an interesting one. Because my original my original one has always been I'd love to go out to chumba wumba and tub thumping. <laughs> but now you said <laughs> it would kill the room as soon as I spoke. Everyone's like, ah, oh, I remember this song from the nineties or the two thousands, whenever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's not going to work.
1: It is. It's, it's yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. And, and because, and also because, like, obviously, it's very rare that I've certainly in my experience that like you do a gig and they ask you, "or oh, what what walk on music do you yeah, want?" Yeah, that's
0: why I'm saying at the Apollo. That's all right. Yeah, be your, your, your big stage to to show
1: yourself. On. Well, I, you got never. No, so you, you never it's not something that you get the chance to practice. No. Which you um should to do the research to realize it is is Chumba Wanda appropriate or not. Um <laughs> you just you find out on the night with Chumba one <laughs> It's an interesting one. Um so
0: where else I was I gonna go with this? Yeah, the your recent show, Too Fast <laughs> no two Muslim, too, 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 furious. too furious, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the one. How how did that how explain the, sh, the the show and how it got to
1: Yeah, it's um it's myself and my good friend and uh fellow comedian, excellent comedian called Aisha Amanduri. I remember we were just at the fringe uh last year and I was always thinking about people to do a split hour with um because yeah doing going from like open mic to doing an hour is is a big leap and anything you can do to kind of stagger that and make it a bit more manageable you do so a lot of people they split an hour between two comedians and it also gives you like a friend and someone to kind of discuss with and because yeah comedy comedy can be a lonely experience um and uh I just remember seeing her at a competition and really liking her set. And she talks about being Muslim. Muslim women on the circuit are rare, very yep. rare. Um, women comedians in general are rare. Um, and yeah, just I. It's almost scary how little we knew each other when we decided to do the show. We were just talking at the fringe. I think it was the second time we'd spoken in person. Yeah. And I almost half-jokingly said, oh, we should do a show. And she was like, yeah, absolutely, we should. Um, she's just a very driven person. She did, like, a lot of the hard work, like, to get it. Um, we did a Top Secret a couple of weeks ago, which was amazing. The venue were great. Um, and it, and I think also we called it Too Muslim, Too Furious. I think because we thought, um, like, if you go to Top Secret, a lot of work-in-progress shows they'll do them at like 6 p.m. So they'll do them before like the main show at 8 p.m. or yeah. one of the main shows at 8 p.m. And nine times out of 10, the show's just called Name the Comedian Work in Progress. Yeah. And I just look at them and I think, oh, I like, Work in Progress is 60% of the title of your show. Like 60% of your show is telling people the show is not going to be that good. Yeah, and I I think, and I thought we we didn't want to do that. We wanted to have something, and and to an extent, I get that. Like, if you're seeing, you know, um, John Bishop, for example you turn up to a show and you think, wait, this isn't as good as like The Apollo. It's actually good to know uh, it's a work in progress. That's why he's writing jokes for them. And there's a certain appeal with that. But like with us, yeah. no one's coming because, you know, our friends will come, but like no one's coming because, whoa, Hassan al-Habib and Aisha, i a show, top secret. So you want to sell it to them. And I thought, we thought like, Two, mus- <laughs> two Muslims of just made us laugh. Like we, um, it's obviously based on the Fast and Furious film. There's two Muslims. And the idea also of Muslims being furious, I think, <laughs> really <Yeah. laughs> Really, really um I mean we used to open we'd open the show by saying we called it too Muslim too furious because we're both Muslim and we watch the news. Uh, <laughs> and, um and it was really good. Like it was so many people came. I think yeah, like more than a hundred people came. I just remember thinking, Oh, it's a good brand. It yeah. was a lot of people that I'd not normally see at a comedy gig. Um a lot of a part of that is because Top Secret is such a famous brand yeah. and loads of people walking on the day um but i remember thinking yeah that that thing of like branding is not something you have to think about as an open mic comedian mm-hmm. to the same extent but you realize as well that like really top people in the industry i think agents look for that as well they look for something like what is marketable about this person yeah because when, so- when someone says i really like joe lyser they never say i oh, like it's rare for them to say, like, I like him because of this particular joke that he did or this particular yeah. joke structure. Yeah. It's more about what's he like? what How does yeah. he make them feel? like What is it about him? What's the personality, the brand? And and I think, yeah, it's, it's realizing that ultimately, as you say, when we were saying at the beginning, like comedy, you have to be your own producer, you have to be your own publicist. You do have to think about these things. What is going to get people through the door is a massive challenge. Yeah. And then a challenge of making them laugh is almost separate to that. It's another challenge entirely. So have you got any plans
0: to fringe it this year or uh, more yes. single shows?
1: I think I think we're gonna do, we're definitely gonna do um some more single like work in progress shows. Um hopefully we'll be doing another one at Top Secret, I think. Um there is another one, I think we're doing Bite Size Festival, which is in Hammersmith. I think that's subject to mm-hmm. um confirmation. But yeah, it's definitely something we want to take to the fringe and uh and the fringe, obviously, you you know, for people that aren't aware, it's like it's just like an accelerator of your development. It's yeah. so expensive and it's just in many ways is horrible, to be honest. But but in terms of your comedy development, like being able to perform for half an hour, an hour every day for twenty-eight days, it really teaches you a lot that it's it just takes much longer or is it, even in some cases impossible to learn just by by doing the circuit which is a horrible state of affairs because it's so expensive and yeah uh, and in many ways elite is to do but and i think that's changing with more and more festivals being created across the country yeah. no, um, that getting more and more popular so um yeah <laughs> so then actually
0: what would be quite good is closer to the time to have both of you come on here and and Promote the show, tell oh. people what it's about and how it came about, and go into more detail and stuff like that. That would be great if you both be up for that at some point in the future. Absolutely,
1: should... absolutely, and yeah, and, and um, uh, if you want to, if the good listeners want to um, help put bread on my family's table, follow me. <laughs> follow me on Instagram. That's the best way. At, I'm using arab uh, It's actually we, we should talk about that. Actually, it's like how I always plug my Instagram at the end of my set, and thus yeah. I wrote like a bit around that. To, um just make it not feel like something you have to sit through. Like, I feel yes. like the audience deserves jokes. Like they've they've paid for you know, whatever, they're here. They yep. deserve 10 minutes of jokes from you. Um but uh but then the more and more you realise that like if you if you want to get more and more followers, and like I think probably really every comedian, if they're really serious, that yep. has to be like an, an aim. It's like the only way, really, is to like either um, have a sex tape or <laughs> <laughs> release content, like release sketches and let them get viral. Because you just get so many more followers from doing that than yeah, than plugging it at the end of a of a show in a, in a basement in I don't know Dulston or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely I would say, um, especially if you look at Instagram, for example, you will get more engagement on reels than you will ever from a picture. Yeah. If I look at anything that I've done in the past, reels are the ones that always get a level of engagement. It doesn't get a lot big. It will, if a picture got 10 or 15, a reel is going to be close to 25. Yeah. So there's 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 something in that, in that the type of content that people are consuming now is very much um, video-based. And the one mistake I see a quite a few people do is they don't put subtitles on it. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a massive thing now where most people—the stats say that the most people that consume stuff on Instagram do it when the phone's on silent. Yeah. So if there's if they can't see any words on the screen, they're just going to skip past it, and that's they're not going to see it again.
1: Yeah, and if it's and weirdly, like not not even weirdly, but it's like if I see a video and it's really amazing quality, I'm immediately thinking, oh, the joke's going to be good. Yeah, Yeah. Totally, you know, shouldn't necessarily say, but if you have like your phone at the back of the room and it, it already just looks kind of amateurish. Yeah, which is fair enough because these cameras cost a lot of money. But whatever, yeah. As you say, there's a lot of stuff to. It's just a whole. It's a whole different ball game that um comedians have to be aware of and have to to learn about as you say and there's a lot of learning to do there but yeah it's maybe it's we shouldn't reveal topics. those
0: secrets and keep them to ourselves. We, we, to, <laughs> for,
1: the, for the paid um subscribers, <laughs> the paid the people that follow us on Patreon <laughs> to hear more of uh, Mark and Hassan's probably secrets. That's <laughs> not a bad idea.
0: <laughs> um but I, I wanna say uh so thank you for being part of this you are your guest number three. One honor, so it's uh, it's still in its infancy. But as with all podcasts nowadays, they need a niche. So this is something I'm setting every single comedian if they're up for it. I'm just calling this in entitled thing or title thing called the Comedians Challenge.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I want you to tell a joke on stage from this book,
2: <laughs>
0: the Little Book of Shit Jokes by Sid Finch you get you get to pick your joke okay but you don't hear it first you tell you give me a page number between five and 95 and there's a joke on every single page i would like you to put it into your set they're out they're all one niners and puns and stuff um and record it post it link it and See if it gets some traction and a bit of fun. I'm oh, intrigued this... to see how people do it. You can go by the rules of I've been told to do this or I'm just going to chuck it in there subtly and see what happens. But the other trick is is that you, if you pick a page that somebody else has picked, you have to pick again. So every comedian has their own joke from this this book
1: what first of all what a great idea and i would love to see particularly comedians i don't like have to do this (laughs) 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 i'm definitely going to do it and i'm definitely going to um do the uh the full the full version of not doing my like coward's intro. <laughs> yeah. Mark Cox asked me No, I'm not, I'm going to I'm <laughs> going to present this as this is Hassan al habib It's going to be plagiarism. Let's make it clear. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm going to be presenting this as my own work. Let's say page number. I got like a lucky number. Let's say um oh, you know what sixty six after uh, my my one of my favorite Liverpool players Trent Alexander Arnold. Okay. It's the kit number he wears. Right. Um
2: Okay. You can have joke and 1. And also
1: Mark, this could be better than my actual material. So let, let's not rule that out when it's <laughs> Do you There's two jokes
0: on this page. Would you like joke 1 or joke 2?
1: Um <laughs> one, please. <laughs> I'm glad you picked one.
0: <laughs> okay, you're the joke you're going to tell whichever audience you're going to be in front of, is going to be the following. Today, I shocked the postman by opening the door in a horror mask. I don't know what surprised him most, the mask or the fact I know where he lives. (laughs)
2: What's the problem?
1: (laughs) Mark, it's going to be very demoralising when that gets the biggest laugh of my set. I I don't know how I'm supposed to take that as a comedian no thank you for that gift I can't wait to I can't wait to do it <laughs> that's actually one of the best ones that's a really that's good really... one that's pretty well, cool, wait, what could it? I have had what was number two uh, right.
0: joke number two would have been the patient says I'm I'm sorry doctor I'm just so nervous this is my first operation doctor that's okay it's mine too
1: <laughs> no, it's, they're both good I've got they're to be honest good. they're both good but, but, I, the... but you're right I prefer them more. <laughs> 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 so yeah
0: thank you for uh taking part and that people can find you on instagram at amusing arab
1: at amusing arab yes absolutely. and I,
0: i'm guessing there's where you're going to be promoting your various uh to muslim too furious in yes. the future all and... the
1: gigs are all on the spreadsheet there as well so yes much appreciated people check that out
0: gotta love a spreadsheet
1: absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs>
0: So, yeah, uh, lastly, I'll just say to everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, Whichever platforms you're on, please like, subscribe, follow. Whichever one it is these days, I lose track. We're on most of the major platforms like Apple, Spotify. I don't even know if Google Podcasts is still going, but Amazon Music as well. So you could probably ask Alexa for us. Um, And until next time, enjoy your time on stage. And if you want to get on stage, keep listening. See you soon.